Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Finance Fridays. I'm Taylor. And this is Mike Williams. <laughs> and we're just going to get started on our fourth episode. So today we're going to talk about charity. Last time we talked about markets and the election, but now we're kind of trying to get your thoughts on charitable giving strategies. And amazingly enough, we're coming down to the end of 2020 and our clients are really starting to think about their tax strategies and more importantly, the different causes that they're passionate about. This is kind of the time of year where people start to say, okay, well, what am I going into at the end of the year? Maybe if you have a religious background, you're thinking, oh, I, I would like to gift to someone. I think that weather's getting cold. I want to be charitable, friendly. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts? Is this year any different with like the pandemic and everything? What, what's your outlook? Well, thanks for uh, scheduling this, Taylor. I'm glad we were able to do our uh, fourth episode here, even though we're neither one of us are in our home and uh, we're making the best of this technology. You know, I, I do think this year is different in some ways, um, but I think we should back up and talk about uh, charitable giving generally, you know, whether, you know, because we obviously have clients who do it for tax purposes and there are people who we have clients who are doing it for, they really believe in the cause and certainly some of both, but we should kind of back up and, and talk about the benefits of charitable giving. Um, what are your thoughts on charitable giving generally? Well, I think, I mean, as many of you probably already know, I'm in my 20s. So I'm in an interesting position where I feel, oh, I'd love to give people money. Like it would be great if I could give like $10,000 or something, but that seems like a big chunk of, of just my overall net worth. So for me, it's, um, it's weighing, okay, well, if I'm giving $100 or $200 here and there, is my money going to make a difference? Is my money going to make a difference for my personal taxes? And would I be more helpful if I gave more of my time? Which I know you and I have also discussed your time is worth, like the value of your time is also could be denominated as well. Well, and that I think that's partly why I wanted to have this kind of preliminary conversation about it. And I, you know, hopefully people will find this interesting, you know, because again, we're from different different generations and we have a different net worth and so forth right now. And um, so, you know, the, the, that point about value of time, I mean, I think we both agree that there's nothing more important than the time we have, right? Each individual can say, okay, I have a net worth of X, you know, X dollars or X thousands of dollars or X millions of dollars, but that that's not going to do them any good when they're gone. You've got a limited amount of time on earth here and you want to make the most of it. So the most valuable asset any one of us has is their time. And, you know, that should be taken into account when someone's deciding, you know, they wanting to invest their time in whatever, you know, their job, their family or, or a charitable organization they're volunteering for. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously, we do oftentimes make calculations about, okay, what is my time worth in terms of dollars? And, and that's important to be able to do, but again, there's nothing more important than a person's time. Um, but I think it's really important for no matter what age a person is, once they're able to learn and understand about money. So even, you know, very young people should be thinking about charitable giving, not in the sense of, you know, they're being guilted into it. One of my biggest points is I don't think anyone should ever give uh, charitably or give gifts or give time out of guilt. It really should be based out of love. It should be based out of, 
you know, passion for the cause. And so, but I think it's important. And it's that same principle of, you know, we hear people all the time when they're young, they're like, well, why should I start saving $25 a week or $25 a month or something like that? You know, that's not going to make a difference. It's going to take too long to add up. You know, why is that important? And, and that's the whole point is the intent and almost the spirituality of saving itself. The intent is to say, I'm moving in the right direction. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get momentum going. And so if a person will discipline themselves to say, I'm going to save even, even if it's a small amount, I'm going to save for my future. I'm going to make sure I'm doing $20 a week or whatever it is. It's the same principle. I mean, even if you can't give $10,000 or $12,000 a year or, you know, make an endowment to a, to a big, uh, you know, a big endowment for a university or, or uh, a charitable cause that you're passionate about, little bits start the momentum, start the ball ro- rolling. And it's a habit too. So, yeah. and it's a really good habit. There's, in my mind, you know, there's a lot of, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned religion. Um, there's a lot of people who are religious who, who think they're supposed to tithe, you know, give 10% of their income away. I think there is sort of some magic, magic in that. Not necessarily, magic's not the right word, but there's sort of a principle, and I can't explain it very well, to tell you the truth. But um, I don't care whether the person's religious or a non-believer or whatever it is, there, is, there does seem to be something to when you give with a full heart of, of uh, you know, out of love and out of passion for a cause, that does multiply itself in some way. Um, and I think it's important that people get in that habit of thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to feed those sources of spiritual food for me, whatever it might be. That's kind of a broad, maybe mystical way of looking at it. But I think if a person does think that way, I'm going to make sure I do give to those sources that I, I get from, uh, they multiply their wealth over time. And it's not just, you know, not just for multiplying their wealth, it's for multiplying good in the world. Yeah. You know, with that, I guess with that, uh, you know, sort of big philosophical preamble, um, you know, you asked whether this is a different year. I think it is obviously, you know, this is a weird year. I mean, you see all kinds of memes all over so- social media and, and the news about, you know, 2020 and how different it is obviously from the pandemic and so many things political and so many things, uh, so many different um, traumatic things that are going on in people's lives, you know, whether it's, you know, pan- the pandemic itself, you know, hurricanes or bad weather, fires and riots and protests, you know, it's a good time to help, help their fellow man in many ways. And so I think it's, it's a unique year to kind of reset yourself about what your priorities are, um, both from a, a long-term uh, goal planning, but also your goals with regard to you know, how you want to make a difference in the world and the charities that are interesting to you. Um, well, and that kind of brings up the, I also feel, I mean, you and I have discussed this so many times. I personally will say, Oh, well, I, here are like four different things that I believe in, but then trying to find a specific charity that fits that niche market of something that I'm passionate about. I feel that can also be hard for people. Do you have any kind of resources for people looking for, Oh, well, like, I mean, the obvious, the big ones are like, I mean, people know of breast cancer and they know of um, maybe political donations, but if there's like a very niche market 
do you know of any kind of websites or other than just saying, oh, Google what you're looking for? Yeah, I think that's probably the best. I mean, Google's a great resource yeah. that way. Um, there, there's also a number of sites out there. Um, one's called Charity Navigator. These are more sites where you already know about or a, an organization and you want to see whether they're managed uh, well. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for people is, you know, they, they care about a cause. Um, let's say, you know, it's cancer or um or diabetes or something like that. They care about, you know, helping people who are going through that health challenge, but they're wondering, does this organization actually take my money and just, you know, pay a lot of administrative overhead or does it go to the cause I care about? And that's what Charity Navigator is about. And there's a number of them out there like that, but you can do research on that site or those sites uh, to figure out, you know, what, which particular causes you do care about. It can kind of be a brainstorming place, but if you know generally you know, something you're passionate about. Uh, I think, you know, as long as you put that into a Google search bar or, or a, you know, a duck, duck go or being search bar, don't want to, don't want to, you know, feed Google too much. They're already dominant, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You don't go down that path. Um, but, you know, you could search for something that the cause and, you know, slash charity. Um, and you're going to find some some people out there that you know are doing something in your area of interest. And if they're not, then maybe you should be the one who takes it up and say, "Okay, I'm going to be the one who starts this charitable cause." Um, okay. So. Yeah. Well, and just personal question. I know I, I do have some notes of some ideas that I want to discuss with you. A personal question is: with this year, everyone keeps we kind of talked about in our last meeting or last podcast, this is such a big year for politics and everything going on with this election. What about people who are charitably inclined, but want to give towards an election? How does that differ from wanting to give to like an SPCA or, um, or a church or what's the difference between a political contribution versus a like strictly chair charitable contribution? What's SPCA? I'm sorry. Oh, know. like the animals, like the commercial with all the sad animals. Oh, I don't know what the commercial is. Um, but, you know, the major point is that uh, political organizations are not uh, tax deductible. Um, they are restricted in terms of how much money you can give because uh, those are based on can campaign finance laws that are basically saying that, you know, one individual can only give so much to certain organizations. Now, there's a way, there's ways around that that, uh, people have used um, with PACs, PACs, uh, political action committees. Uh, people kind of can give more through those types of things. Okay. Uh, but it isn't the same in the way of a ta tax deductible contribution. You can't take it off your taxes if you want to give to a political candidate. So th that's an important difference. But I do think it's important if, you, if people are passionate about a certain political issue or candidate and they, and they really want to back that person. then I think that's a good idea to use, to maybe use, you could call it, call it charitable or cause type dollars. And a person might make that election to say, well, I'm not going to give to, you know, my uh, health uh, cause this year because I want to support a particular candidate and my budget only supports so much, but then they're, they're not getting that tax deduction. Okay. And that's part of the challenge. I mean, you and I have talked about this, you know, the tax code just does give incentive certain behavior um and you know it's a question of whether a person is 
you know, making a donation based upon the passion that they have for this organization, or they want a tax deduction or both. And, you know, that's just part of the lay of the land that we live in with having the IRS and the Congress trying to incent certain behavior with regard to how we, how we get tax breaks. Um, the, the tax environment is still good for giving. And there were new incentives uh, from the, the CARES Act this year. Uh, maybe our audience knows that maybe they don't, but earlier in the year, once the pandemic uh, began to take hold in, in the US, our Congress did a number of things to try to, again, incent behavior to help people out that way. Um, so generally it's a good year to be given to charities. It's also a good year because the, the stock market is up right now. Um, and that can be a good methodology to, to have a double uh, benefit if someone's interested in, in making sure that they're giving the most uh, effective way because they can get around, they can give appreciated assets such, such as stocks or mutual funds and then take that as a deduction so they get both a tax deduction. They also get a, uh, uh, they also bypass any capital gains tax that they would have otherwise paid. So that this makes it a particularly good year. Whenever the market's up, that that opportunity is there, and people should be aware of it. Well, and I hear you talking about oh, donating stock. So I know some people in their younger years are fortunate to have accounts like that where they can gift that way. What about people in their twenties who maybe they just started their personal investment account or they just started their four hundred one k and they they can't be gifting from there because they've only got $100 anyways, and they, they're trying to save everything they can. Is this still a good time to kind of get in the habit of gifting or what do yeah, you- Yeah, I would say, I would say, again, going back to that, that bigger principle of you know, developing their own philosophy of life, uh, of goal achievement, of the things that they want to, to uh, achieve during their life. I think everyone should have um, charitable giving goals. Now it shouldn't be the primary. I mean, in my view, Again, it shouldn't be out of guilt and it shouldn't be the primary. The, you know, this is, again, my, my life philosophy. You should live your life for yourself and live the best life you can in a long-term rational way. Um, and so if you are, you know, if you're just out of college or just out of high school and you don't have a big income, then it, you shouldn't sacrifice, you know, your savings goals for a car or a house or your long-term retirement. Um, you shouldn't sacrifice those for really giving a lot of money to a charity. I don't, I don't think you should. Now that's my value system. Yours might be different or, or certainly lots of people's value system might be different. They, they might say you really should sacrifice, but my view is that you shouldn't, but I also don't view it as a sacrifice to begin giving, you know, that habit is crucial. And I think people should very early in their life say, I have goals toward, uh, you know, supporting causes that I care about. And then, like you said, identifying those causes, you know, do I care about, why do I care about, um, like mine oftentimes is economic and financial education. I give to causes that are, that I think are education oriented, but a person might say, you know, I'm, I'm really impassioned about this health cause. You know, there's a bunch of, uh, health organizations out there, whether it's the American Heart Association or cancer or diabetes, as I mentioned before, or, uh, MS or whatever it is, you know, we, we here in Colorado have, uh, a higher percentage of people who contract MS and we, you and I both know people who have MS. Um, and so that's something I'm, I'm interested in is, is supporting those causes, but being able to select what they are, even if you can't give appreciated, you know, a bunch of appreciated stock, you don't have that kind of portfolio yet. 
it's a good idea to be giving cash or as you pointed out maybe you can't even give cash but you know spend spend an hour a week uh giving some of your time toward that cause that you're passionate about so i think that's important to be in that habit early on even if you can't give appreciated stock yeah well and then so should you look at it the same way so um you brought up the number 10 percent. so if i can't give 10 percent of my money because say my budget's so tight that i don't have the ability to do that should i then give 10 percent of my time or 10 percent of what my workable time would be so 10 percent of 40 hours should i well, give my financial that? advice for someone <laughs> it wouldn't be to give the time because time is more valuable and if you if you're if you're in that situation where you don't feel like you're making the kind of money to support your goals in the first place more of your time since it's so valuable should be going toward multiplying your your value and your earning power because that'll do lot more long-term good toward the causes you care about because you'll have more money to give them so you shouldn't give time now the 10 percent of your money you know that that's what's kind of cool about percentages is that even if you make very little money 10 percent is not that much now yeah. it maybe maybe feels like it is to you but it, it's just like i've said before a person should always be in the habit of saving 10 percent so if I say, you know, no matter what income you have, you should t save 10%. And no matter what income you have, you should be giving 10%. Now, again, that's that tithing concept. Um, you know, I, I don't think a person necessarily has to be, quote, religious about it and be that locked into it. But I do think it's important to get in that habit. And, you know, any person can save 10% and any person can give 10%. And that means you, you now you've got 80% and then you got 10%. You know, you've got the... Uh, likely some taxes that you're having. So you're living off of 70%, maybe. Yeah. You know, you're or living less. off of 70% of what you earn. And if you can't live off of 70% of what you're earning right now, then that, you know, should be, all right, you've got to be really increasing your earning ability. Okay. Okay. So kind of talking about everyone should do charitable gifting and not necessarily that you need to gift. If you can't gift 10% of your of your income, you should focus more on growing your income so that you can give 10% of your income. Yeah, you can give your time. You, you but buy not, that? I think that makes sense. I don't think if I'm talking about the whole entire world, I don't know that everyone, I don't like if I was working at Taco Bell right now, I don't know that, that my growth rate could go there. I guess you'd have to make a job transition in order to maybe. Get well, and that that's level. true. I mean, that, that's the thing is, I mean, I think people are delusional if, if you think uh, Taco Bell is a long-term career. Now, maybe it is for somebody, and maybe they can't afford to give much or at all. I mean, I, I again, I believe, you know, if you're making eight bucks an hour, can you can you uh, set aside 80 cents an hour? Um, I think you could. Now, this is where it comes in where people don't necessarily want to, you know, they, they have conflict. Um, and they don't really want to live their values. They say, um, you know, giving is important to them, but maybe it's not. And that's okay, right? They get to decide. Yeah. I just know, I, I know from observation, my own personal life and watching lots of clients, people who started with very modest means, maybe not at Taco Bell, but certainly, you know, I don't know if you started in, in like retail or, or fast food. I definitely did. I was doing, yeah. you know, minimum wage janitorial jobs and fast food jobs when I first started working um, and began to apply some of the principles we talk about with regard to saving and giving. And every time a person does that, they do multiply their value. 
Um, yeah. And it's partly because the, the thought process, it's the thinking that goes into it, you know, it, and it's the pain as well. It's, it's not, not necessarily suffering, but the pain of saying, well, I have to prioritize. I have to, I can't just spend all of my Taco Bell earnings on whatever I want. I have to think about that differently. So when someone does that, they naturally say, well, I want to have a better life. And they decide, well, I'm going to be the manager of the Taco Bell, or I'm going to, I'm going to leave Taco Bell and go on to a different job uh, where I can actually earn more, more money and provide more value in the world. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also similar to what you and I have talked personally and with clients about is it's the same thing as the saving. If you're saving a small chunk each month, eventually your means will like, you'll become comfortable living at that level. Yep. Um, and so you almost won't notice it. So if you're saying, okay, every paycheck, 10% comes off the top, eventually you'll just mentally feel like, okay, well, this is what my paycheck is, is what is what it is net of that 10%. Yep. And net of hopefully the other 10% for savings as well. Yeah. And we've used that example before where, you know, if a person has an hour to do something, then somehow it takes the hour. If they have 15 minutes to do that same thing, somehow they might get it done in 15 minutes. There's some elasticity there with regard to how we use our time um, and how productive we are with our time, how efficient we are with our time. And it's the same thing with money. Um, I can definitely live on less. You know, virtually anyone out there can live on less. No one in America. I mean, you know, the, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, um, you know, last week and then uh, two or three weeks from now, I'm teaching a class on, on capitalism being good for the poor. And, one of the things I make, and this is a sidetrack, but I, one of the thing, one of the points I make is that no one in America is truly poor by world standards. You know, and it'd be different if we were talking about you know you're in Ethiopia and you're living on two bucks a day. You know, can you still give? Well, that's a different. That's a little bit different than than most Americans, even Americans who work at Taco Bell for minimum wage. Yeah, even our lowest level of income, we still have a moderate lifestyle. Well, even when you say moderate lifestyle, that's even understating that. I mean, <laughs> by historical standards, most people in America who were under the American poverty line, you know, who are qualify as poor in America have lived richer lives and live richer lives than the wealthiest people, people throughout human history. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, the King of France didn't have, you know, an iPhone and they didn't have running water really. I mean, in, in some cases, I mean, uh, so most American quote poor live better than all of human history has lived. Now, again, relatively to Bill Gates, yeah, they're not living as well, but it is a different, it's a moving target is my point. You know, that whole par- yeah. poverty thing is a moving target. And, and, you know, and again, I'm not telling someone who's a Taco Bell, they gotta, they gotta be, they got to be saving 10% or, or giving 10% and therefore living on 80%. But my bet is if they did that, they would multiply their happiness their uh, and their financial value in the world. Okay. That's been my experience anyway. Yeah. Well, and I like that. I think, and the other thing to, to pull back out of there is that you also said, you're not telling anyone that they have to do any of this. You're not saying, oh, everyone needs to save and everyone needs to donate. of each it's if you feel inclined to do this we think you'll continue to grow your worth and your um, happiness and your impact on the world and this is a good I would say a little stronger than that I I, I think you're right interpreting my comment you know 
no one has to. It's a free, you know, this is still America, at least so far. <laughs> People wonder about if it's going to last, but we still have freedom to choose. And, I, you know, I, but I would say it's stronger than, you know, we feel. I have observed, you might feel it, but I have observed. So it's a principle in my life. It's a, it's a principle that I say, no, this actually does work. If you want to, if you want to end up having a better life, save more and give more away, um, you know, not all of it. You got to live on stuff today, but save more for the future and also give more toward those sources of your spiritual food is the way I would put it, or, or causes that you really do care about um, that, that make you feel good to give to them. Um, but that's a principle and people should do that if, if they want to multiply their, their happiness and their wealth. That's my observation. But again, they're free not to, and they are yeah. free to discover other principles. Um, but let's get into some of the rules. You know, let's talk about yeah. the the tax rules for charitable giving. What do you think? Yeah. So like, what's the annual deduction this year? How much can I gift? I know with the CARES Act, there's been some change as far as how much you can give and you you don't necessarily have to, because um, I know traditionally you have to, if you want to look at it from a tax perspective, you're trying to get your donations and your medical expenses and all of that over the itemized limit. And so I know this year there's kind of an extra little threshold outside of that as well. So do you want to kind of dive into that? So the CARES Act gave everyone uh, $300 additionally that they don't have to qualify for any kind of itemized deduction. And that's a good thing for, for the people we've been talking about. Now we'll shift to, to more of our, you know, the majority of our clients who have some wealth and are trying to make, make decisions based on, you know, both their passion and their causes, but as well as their tax return. Yeah. And the annual deduction is 60% of their adjusted gross income can be given in cash. Most of our clients don't give anywhere close to that. 60% of your adjusted gross income can be a, bit, a you know, large number. Um, but you can also give 30% of your gross adjusted gross income in non-cash. Or if you're combining the two, cash versus non-cash, you can give a 50% of that number combined. Um now, the issue you mentioned before about, you know, if you're itemized, if you're itemizing, then you can do 100% of your adjusted gross income. And that's 24K, right? I'm, um, if we were doing a video version, you guys could see I'm pulling out, we have this note card that we give to all of our clients and it has all of the just tax laws and limitations um, I'm trying to see. Yeah. So it's standard deduction. Yeah. So it would have to be over to, in order to itemize, you'd have to have an amount that's over the standard deduction. So if you're a single person, a single person, you would do 12,400. So if you had 12,400 of total deductions, including charitable, medical, um, any kind of deductions, or if you're married, it would have to be over double that. So 12,400 or 24,800 if you're married. Yeah, and that, that means that a lot of people in, in you know, modest income range really don't have to do any, it's sort of a simplification thing. And in, in the spirit of that, I agree with it. They're, they're basically saying to people, you know, we're going to make it simple. You're going to get a pretty big deduction anyway, a stand, quote, standard deduction rather than having to keep track of all this stuff. So lots of people, you know, who are under that that threshold in terms of contributions or or other itemized deductions just won't won't be doing that. Um, yeah. But we do have lots of clients who are making more money than that, have larger adjusted gross incomes, and do much more in the way of itemizations. Um, yeah. As I mentioned before, um, 
you know, cash is not the most effective way to give. The IRS gives that special incentive for appreciated assets. And that's something we want to stress, you know, coming down to the end of the year, if we have clients uh, or, or listeners who, who do have appreciated stocks or appreciated assets, and they've held for a long term, at least a year, um, and, and they have, and they have you know, the, that sort of unrealized capital gain sitting there, and they, they do want to make a, a charitable deduction for the end of the year, it's much better to give some of that asset than the cash that they would other give otherwise. And they can reinvest that, the cash uh, into to some kind of similar asset or portfolio. And it's actually a good thing to note. So say you are a married couple and you're not going to hit the, that threshold of 24,000. You wanted, maybe you want to give 10,000 and that's still a large chunk, but you're not going to hit that 24,000. You would still have that first tax benefit of not paying taxes on the capital gains. That's true. Now, one key thing is to, if they're close like that, or, or, or from one year to the next, they might be close. It's really smart to do a bunching strategy where they say, okay, I'm going to take advantage of the standard deduction one year, and I will bunch my itemized deductions up into the next year. And maybe they're given even more, they're doubling their gift the following year. Uh, so let's say they would give 10,000 each of two years. Well, it's better to give 20,000 in one year to get the maximum uh, itemized deduction in that one year. And then the, the previous year or the, or the following year, take that, that uh, standard deduction. So it's really important to pay attention if they're on the, on the margin there. You know, itemized versus standard deduction uh, over the course of two years and making sure they're bunching correctly, doing the math, allowing themselves to get a, 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 the most efficient tax strategy possible. Well, and then what about donor advised funds? I've, if anyone's read an article on the CARES Act and they're trying to figure out what all the details are as far as charitable gifting, the word donor advised funds comes up quite a bit. Do you want to kind of dive into what that means? Yeah, a donor advised fund is sort of like a special purpose account for charitable giving. Like, you know, we have these 529 plans. Well, that's a special purpose account for, for education or, uh, you know, IRAs are for retirement and, and um, HSAs are for healthcare. So the IRS or Congress through the IRS has set up these accounts, again, to incent our behavior. And a donor advised fund is basically say, well, let's, let's give people the ability to make charitable do donations uh, in one year. And so they get the tax deduction, but not necessarily have to make a decision on who that's going to go to. They can accumulate money in this donor advised fund um, and have that point to a, a charitable organization later on, but having gotten the, the charitable deduction in one year or each year that they make that donation. It's kind of like a, it's an answer to the, it's like a mini foundation Lots of wealthy families set up their own foundation to, to, you know, to do what they can with regard to their, their passions and their causes. Uh, but that requires a lot more, um, usually more capital, more uh, accounting, more legal work, lots of paperwork to have your own foundation. A donor advised fund allows a person to have sort of like uh, their own foundation where they don't have to make, um, again, the charitable donation in that one year that they get the deduction. So it's, a, it's separating the tax decision from the charitable giving decision. Um, and it, it, it can be a handy thing. Um, they are more expensive investments because they are, they are doing basically taking that regulatory tax filing thing mostly away from the client. Uh, underneath it all, they are, they are a little bit more expensive than just a basic investment account, but, but they do serve a purpose that way. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, also, just a heads up, if anyone's hearing any kind of whistling in the background of mine today, I'm sorry. I'm in a hotel room and there's a lot of wind. There's actually a fire that I'm watching come in towards me. <laughs> so yeah, keep an eye on the emergency <laughs> alerts there, Taylor. So if I just cut out, I might be evacuating. <laughs> but in all carry, seriousness, carry I'm, <laughs> yeah, then we'll just leave it to Mike. He'll, he'll carry it on. Um, but I, I apologize if there's any background noise of like a whistling noise. It's There's a lot of wind here today. So um, hopefully I'll try to edit that out, but I don't know. I don't, I I don't hear it too much. I don't know. Okay. So we should be good. Perfect. So I'll, I'll, we can continue on, but I just, in case people were going, what's that ringing noise? <laughs> Want to make sure we were clear. So can you talk a little bit about a bunching strategy? And yeah, what does that mean? It. Well, we just touched bunching. on it. Um, it's basically saying, okay, oh, the I'm two gonna, years. Yeah. I'm going to accumulate my itemized deductions if I can, especially with regard to, to, charities um, into the following year. And you can do this as well. I mean, itemized deductions include um, certain real estate taxes, right? Um, So if I'm paying taxes out of my home, well, the the newer tax law said, you know, there's these higher thresholds. So to meet the higher threshold, what you do is you say, okay, I'm going to, I'll put, I'll try, if I can control my real estate taxes, I'll push them into January and then December, the following December. So I get two calendar year taxes, even though I'm, I'm basically taking care of my taxes for one, you know, of two years, I'm pushing them into one calendar year. And okay. same thing, same thing with charitable contributions. Let's say I normally would make, you know, $10,000 contribution to, you know, the charities I care about, you know, the Red Cross or, you know, the, the Ayn Rand Institute or the uh, Foundation for Economic Education or the brain, uh, brain research or whatever it might be, I'm going to do $10,000 per year. That's my strategy. Well, instead of doing 10,000 per year, I do 20,000 every other year. And that's the bunching. So the year that I don't make that, um, that $10,000 contribution to my charity, I'm sticking with the standard deduction, but the following year I'm doing two years worth. And so now I get itemized. That's all bunching means is, is pushing them into one year, pushing two years into one year. Okay. That makes sense. I, I just want to make sure I wasn't missing something when I saw that. So what about the, the qualified charitable distribution? I know that for retirees who are 70, I think now it's 72, right? Is the new limitation. Yeah, it's a little bit older age now as far as the IRS uh, required minimum distributions. What it basically boils down to is that um, people who are retired and being forced by the required minimum distribution rules, now again, that changed this year as well. The, you, those are waived. You don't have to make take a, a required uh, minimum distribution. But if you do, you can push it directly to a charity rather than Rather than taking that and having it be taxable, you can push it to a charity and get that deduction that way. That was sunsetted, but they they basically renewed it, and we'll see if they continue to renew it. Okay, and so just a little more detail on that. So that allows you to take the money out as you're required to do so. You're giving the money to the charity, so you're helping them out. And then, are you avoiding the or- you're avoiding the ordinary income tax that you would traditionally have to pay on the required distribution? Exactly. Is that correct. Okay. 
So we, we've talked about our crystal ball. We have our little purple, purpley blue crystal ball in the office that we like to joke with clients about and say, oh, well, this is our crystal ball of what we know for the future. What, what are your thoughts as far as tax rates? I know we, we can't really know what's going to happen, but what's your outlook on that or what would be your guesstimation? Yeah, you know, that, that predicting the future is pretty tough business. That's why we, uh, we do jokes about our little crystal ball because it isn't that effective. Um, Tammy gave me that a long time ago, you know, that, that little, little purple, not so clear crystal ball that kind of point. But I, she, she wanted to make sure that I uh, told people I didn't know, I didn't really know how to predict the future at all in most cases. But that doesn't mean you can't plan. In, in terms of, um, you know, possible uh, future tax rates, my view is that. Likely that over time tax rates have to go up. Um, you know, we have these big deficits, meaning that we, you know, we're we as a, a nation are spending more uh, than we take in in the way of taxes. So we're accumulating debt, and if we want that debt to be paid back, then you know, most people would say, yeah, debt should be paid back. We can't just default. You know, the U.S. can't default on its debts. Then we have to take in more taxes, and that means potentially higher tax rates in the future. And so that's my my bet, and that's partly why we have a more nuanced position about paying taxes now versus just deferring. It used to be when I was first starting this business, you know, the rule was, you know, defer as much as you can. You know, you're better off having the compounding of your investment over time without being taxed year to year, and then at some future date, you know, you've got some taxes to pay. Uh, but now it's a little more nuanced, you know, having that balance between well, maybe going ahead and paying more taxes today under lower or over what might be lower tax rates than, than going away. Again, who knows? And that's why it makes sense to do some or both. Well, I wonder, is there is there a cap, though? Like, it, I, I know there's all these different caps on here's how much you can give to charity for your quali- qualified charitable distribution. There's we've got all these tax legal parameters. Is there any kind of cap on where they could put the max income tax rates, or is it just up for a debate? If you were taxed at 100% of your income, what would you do? Not work. Right, you would quit. <laughs> That's actually, there's there's a concept in economics called the Laffer curve, but I won't get into it in detail. It's basically after... You know, a guy who was uh, he was actually the uh, economic advisor to President Reagan. I think actually he advises Trump right now. But basically, he's an economist who came up with this idea of saying, "Look, there's a certain tax rate where if you if you raise it beyond that, you're going to you know disincentivize people to work, and therefore you're going to have less tax revenue." And economists argue all the time about that. I I, uh, I think it's much lower than. I think, you know, if we had much lower tax rates, we'd actually have more tax revenue. But again, that's something that, you know, Republicans and Democrats argue about and economists argue about. You know, but, you know, theoretically, the tax, the maximum rate is 100%. And we've had, we have had uh, tax rates, marginal tax rates as high as over 90% in this country, where the last dollar, you know, the, the, the highest dollar earned you, you had was taxed at 90 some percent. Now, when we had that, we had all kinds, we had more itemized deductions or quote unquote loopholes where people could say, okay, I'm not going to pay a 90% tax rate. So I'm going to you know, somehow reduce all my tax, taxable burn it by, by taking advantage of these loopholes. You know, theoretically, uh, you know, under a purely 
socialist or certainly a communist system, you don't own any of your property. And so you give it all and then and you give it all to the government or don't give it. It's, it's forcibly taken from you. That's a 100% tax rate. And then and you get what they decide. Uh, we're a long ways from that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, a, a person a person has to make decisions based on the, the situation that they're in with regard to the tax regime and the uh, the uh, government system they live under. Yeah. You know, I generally would advocate for a, a lower, you know, more a lower tax rate, much lower tax rate, where people get to keep. They have the freedom to decide themselves what they value, rather, rather than having it be taken from them. But um, that's a different that's a different argument. Yeah. So what you're saying is technically there's no legal parameters stopping the government from taxing us all of our income. Well, I but wouldn't say that. I, 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 I actually, I mean, I would say the opposite of that. I mean, again, this is more into uh, political science and my philosophy. I, I actually think the, the the 16th Amendment itself which created the income tax. I mean, you may or may not realize this, but for the first hundred plus years of the U.S. as a nation's existence, it had no no income tax. You know, no income tax whatsoever. That was only created by the Sixteenth Amendment in 1913. Um, so, you know, for 120 some years, the U.S. had no income tax. Um, so, I think that that itself, the Sixteenth Amendment, was unconstitutional. So when you say there's no legal limit to how much they can tax us, I actually think there is the Constitution itself. But um, you know, the Supreme Court didn't necessarily agree with me in 1913. Not that I was around then, but but you know, that 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 has been litigated. Um, I, I hope for a time when the Supreme Court actually strikes that does strike down the income tax as unconstitutional. Okay. Right now we're headed the other direction. And so from an investment practical standpoint, I say maybe you need to be prepared for higher tax rates. I don't think 100% tax rate or even, you know, there's no appetite to go into the, even the 50% tax rates right now. Uh, you know, yeah. there, there's a lot of argument for, you know, having a flat tax that's maybe a 10%, you know, everybody just across the board, there's no, there's no itemized deductions. There's no, you know, no loopholes. There's no all this kind of Mickey Mouse that we go through every year, you know, trying to scramble by April 15th or some of us even wait till October to get it done. You know, all the different kinds of gyrations we go through to say, okay, what is my tax gonna be and how can I reduce that obligation? You know, a lot of people argue that, that should just go away and we should have a flat 10% tax. And that to me makes more sense than what we have right now. But again, they're not necessarily listening to me. Yeah. Well, and that would change the entire system of our government, right? Because there's a whole chunk of people who it's entirely their job to make sure that they're trying to get tax dollars swayed towards their, I don't know, towards their sector of things, right? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, I know there are people who do that from a healthcare perspective where they're trying to have money go to, like, long-term care or healthcare benefits, I mean, through the government. Yeah, through the government. Yeah. And if we took away the deductions for things which are funded by lobbying, I believe, then would that adjust the tax dollars that are received by these types of companies that are essentially well, so, subsidized? So it would definitely change the lobbying parameter. And again, this is maybe you know, off the track from charitable deductions. But yeah. so if you had a flat tax, you would change you know, the sort of the incentives out there. I mean, 
if you if you had a flat tax of 10% and it didn't, you know, then I couldn't take a deduction for a home mortgage interest, for example. You know, that yeah. wouldn't be a loophole, so to speak. You know, I would either decide to buy a house and, and have a mortgage on it or not, but it wouldn't be based on whether I get a deduction or not. So that would change some behavior, but it wouldn't necessarily have to change government expenditures. I've, I've seen statistics that say, okay, if you had a flat tax, it could be of 10%. It could actually end up being revenue neutral where, where you basically had the same amount of money coming into the government and they would be able to spend it the same way they are right now. And still, now, of course, they couldn't spend more than they are unless they borrowed. You know, that's... Yeah. That doesn't change. I mean, if you're going to just out, you know, is if you're a uh, a regular person or a government, you ultimately can't spend more than you take in without borrowing. Now, the big difference is you and I and no business out there can print money, um, but printing money is just borrowing from the future, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's inflating and, and causing some distortion, but but I mean, I just to answer your question. Uh, I think there's a good argument that a flat tax at some rate, maybe it's a little higher than 10%, but at some rate would be revenue neutral on a total basis, but it would change people's incentives. And, you know, again, I don't think the government should be in the business of trying to incentivize behavior. You know, yeah. It's my life. Well, well this is. You can decide what you want to do with your money. Yeah. Well, and this is probably even further off of charitable conversation but i have a follow-up question how does that and i don't know if you are aware of tax code internationally but does europe have the similar issue because i'm thinking okay well right now we also have when people are saying okay well the the double benefit of doing charitable gifting out of their investment accounts is they're getting rid of the taxable gains the capital gain tax treatment if you did a flat tax, how would that impact capital gains treatment for things? Well, again, the proposal, and it's interesting you bring that up about uh, other countries or international. I, I actually spoke on this. The largest audience I ever spoke to was in Athens. It was uh, over a thousand people. And it was about the issue of uh, international tax harmonization. I don't know if you know that term, but it was basically saying, and there are governments around the world who are trying to say, we don't want to compete on tax rates. We, we don't want to give incentives for people to leave, leave our country or businesses specifically to leave our country. And because there's some other country that has a lower business tax rate. Yeah. Um, I'm actually in favor of tax competition. You know, uh, I thought it was great. A few years ago, um, um, Ireland was, uh, had, you know, reduced their taxes and regulations a bunch. They brought in a lot of international companies to say they wanted to be domiciled there or operate there so they would pay lower taxes. And that really helped their economy a ton. Ireland really exploded in terms of being a much more dynamic economy because of that. And I'm in favor of that. Um, the whole idea of um, you know, if you're going to pay a lower tax rate somewhere else, uh, I think it's a good thing to say, okay, let's you know, let you know, countries compete based on tax rates, having lower tax rates, because people want to go to where there are lower tax rates. Would that eliminate ta capital gains taxes? If you had a flat tax, it would. That'd be the whole idea is that you're saying, we're going to get rid of, you know, capital gains tax and, and mortgage deductions and all kinds of loopholes, all the different things that people think about or businesses think about in terms of how do I reduce my taxes? Yeah. You're, you know, you've heard before, probably, um, at least I have, and again, I'm, I've seen a lot more tax law changes than you have, um, but every year or every 
two or four years, you you often have heard people say, you know, politicians say, I'm going to cut your taxes. Now, you know, this year is different. You, you have one candidate who's saying they're going to cut your taxes again, and one person who's saying, no, he's going to raise, raise your taxes because he's saying to be responsible, we have to have more income. Um, that's a different argument, but a lot of times they'll say, you know, we should have a simpler tax code. And I think most Amer everyday American agrees with that in concept. You know, why do we have all these complications? Why do I have to, you know, why do I have to spend a lot of money with an accountant and, and why do I have to do all those kinds of things to try to figure out what I owe the government? Why not just make it a, in fact, some people have said, you know, your tax return should be like a, the size of a postcard. What did yeah. you make? 10%, it goes to the government. Pretty simple. Um, and I think that would actually be really, if you could, if you could do that, uh, it would be really healthy for the economy and, and, but it would eliminate that strategy. It would eliminate all the things, a lot of the things that we actually advise people on. It would eliminate, it would say, no, we don't have to any, we don't have to pay attention to tax reduction. But remember, I mean, and this is in concept, that would be in my mind, a very good thing because you'd, I mean, some of the brightest people in the world, some of the most creative, smartest minds in the world spend their time, the majority of their productive life trying to figure out how to reduce taxes. Yeah. And if you could have that productive ability saying, no, we're not going to do that anymore. If you unleash that productive ability doing something else, that would be a net positive for all of us. You know, if you had really bright minds, not worrying about, you know, how am I going to reduce my tax bill, but how am I going to be positively employed and productive? That'd be a huge thing for all of us. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I'm just, I guess, like kind of philosophically considering, oh, how would that change society? But I, yep. I do think it would be both interesting to see and probably beneficial for society if we could just say, no, you're not getting an deduction for this, this, and this, but it also isn't going to take you a week to figure out how to do your tax return. It's just flat. Everyone gets the same <laughs> thing. Well, I mean, I know some people months? who, <laughs> oh yeah, months. <laughs> okay. I thought you were saying a week was long. It's like, Oh, I know no, some no, people no, no. will go through. No, I think, you know, most of our clients, uh, uh, you know, and most of our clients are who they call, you know, tremendously wealthy people. Uh, and I don't know if you'd call me wealthy, but but uh, most of our clients spend lots more than weeks trying to accumulate, assemble, and then go back and forth between their accountants on, okay, what is my tax bill going to look like? I mean, most people in America today, and again, this might be because of the stage of life you're at and, and maybe some of your friends are at that don't spend that much time at it. But uh, there's a lot of time and energy that goes toward trying to say, okay, let me make sure I'm complying with the tax laws yeah. and, and not paying any more than I, I really am legally obligated to. Yeah, I agree. So with that, I mean, uh, you know, I know we're kind of going along here and uh, I think you know, I want to reiterate the the issue of uh, I, I do think it's important, no matter where a person is at in life, to be uh, in the habit of certainly saving, but also giving toward things they care about without guilt. Uh, we can help people. I mean, it, it's interesting. You know, I have my own my own biases about where people should give money. I mean, I think I think there are certain causes that are really not only, you know, they shouldn't give money to, but they're they're destructive causes. But that's you know that's that's our own personal value system. But we can help counsel people on, well, if you care about this, then here's some ways to 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 benefit that cause. Um, but that, you know, so that's the next step is 
you know, committing to saying, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a charitably minded person. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a philanthropist, even at whatever modest level I can, that's how I'm going to think. Um, and then choosing the causes that I care the most about and then figuring out a way, what's the most efficient way to do that and how much can I afford? And I do think that issue of affordability is important. Are there other things that we should touch on with regard to the tax code? There's uh, there's the issue of inheritance taxes. I mean, that's a big yeah. deal. Most of our tax code is set, you know, that was, that was you know, the, the Trump tax cuts brought in a whole, uh, you know, whole set of rules with regard to taxes, but those are set to sunset in 2025. Um, and that includes the inherited tax. So, so for, for people who have uh, what they would consider to be non death tax estates, meaning, you know, let's say uh, under uh, you know, 10 or 12, I think it's 11 million per person. Yeah. Um, and most, most people don't have that much in the way of a net worth. Uh, if they have under that, they still may be, you know, in the next few years subject to having um, a taxable estate. And that, that's something that we want to pay attention to is, is how that sunsetting will, will make a difference over the coming uh, three, four, five years. Yeah, because it was about five million. I know when I first graduated college, I think it was like five point four million. I think it was like five four three two, something similar to there. Yeah, do you know what so it was, was when half... I first came into this business? What? Six hundred thousand. So anybody six hundred thousand? Anybody who had an estate over six hundred thousand was and died with that, they had to pay forty uh, percent tax. Yeah, forty something percent uh, inheritance tax and. Um, that number has grown and mainly because of small businesses and, and farming farmers, you know, were really experienced a lot of trauma. They, they would have to sell their business at a fire sale or their farm at a fire sale just to pay the taxes. The family who inherited a farm might have to be forced into, because they didn't have the cash on hand. It wasn't like they had any money. They yeah. had a, a farm that was worth over 600,000, but then they had to come up with the cash. And the only way they could come up with the cash to pay the taxes was to sell the farm and it, because they had to sell it fast, well, you know, cheap. Have, yeah, it would be go cheap. It would be a fire sale type of thing. And so Congress recognized that and changed it to a much larger number. Um, you know, when it, it went into the millions, you know, the a million plus, and then it went to three million, three point five million, and now we have you know eleven point five million um, in terms of that number. And you know, again, that's a political argument. Should anyone have to pay? You know, in a sense, they're paying double or triple because that's money that's already been taxed over the course of their lifetime. So they have a net yeah. worth that has to be taxed upon their death. That's, that's a political argument, but we want people to pay attention to that because we do have clients who, who have, who have substantial net worths. Maybe they're not wealthy, but substantial net worths that could be taxable in future years that wouldn't otherwise be. Yeah, definitely. And so on the same note of gifting, as we'd kind of discussed earlier, you can also consider inheritance and if if you are kind of on the margin there is there any kind of family gifting you want to do and is that your strategy as opposed to a traditional um, charitable gift one thing to note about that is if you are gifting appreciated stock to a family member and not a charitable organization you are essentially passing forward that basis so whoever receives that appreciated stock will also receive the taxability of it when they choose to shop to sell that along with that you're not getting a deduction so i mean 
Yeah, you you're not getting a When you gift to family members, you maybe are reducing the size of your taxable estate, but you're not reducing your taxable income for that year. And so people want to be aware of that. It's a whole different thing giving to family members giving than giving to a qualified charity. And both are important strategies depending upon your value systems and what you're trying to do. And, and again, that's that's why people should come talk to us or, or a qualified financial advisor. And hopefully they will. And they can find us at altiusfinancial.com and see all of our wonderful you know, growing body of content there. Yeah. You know, the last thing I would say, I don't know if you have any other final comments, but the last thing I would say is just reiterating, you know, uh, to me, it's a healthy thing to be charitably minded. And, and to me, it's amazing also how generous people really are. I mean, we're seeing that this year with the pandemic. There, there are lots of little causes that have popped up and, and people are trying to help each other. I've seen, you know, you see where people are trying to help local restaurants and buying gift certificates. And I think that's all a really good, good thing. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a good thing to be generous hearted. Um, obviously you want to do it within the context of your, your resources right now, but you want to think bigger than that. And I think that's, that's one of the things that our culture has done successfully is have people think, you know, think, uh, more generously on a voluntary basis like that. Do you have any final comments? I think you kind of close it out perfectly. So. I don't think there's anything else I could add there, but I Great. really appreciate everyone who's tuning in and I hope this was helpful for you guys. Or if you have any kind of follow-up questions for us, like Mike said, it's just altiusfinancial.com. That is A-L-T-I-U-S financial.com. Feel free to go to the contact us page and shoot us an email, fill in that questionnaire to, um, to reach out to us and, We'd be happy to talk further. Sounds good. Taylor, you take care of yourself. You keep an eye on that fire um, and uh, yeah. keep, me, keep me posted on how things are going. We'll, we'll talk to you when you get back. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Once again, this is Finance Fridays. Have a great weekend.